Well, you know, when I was uh, in high school, I had a lot of different friends, but two friends come to mind. One's name was Ronnie Mills, and the other's name was Jim Smith. Um, Ronnie was six foot four, black, and I was, and still am, five foot six, and white. So we'd walk down the hall together, and basically, you know, he just used me as a crutch almost. He, he'd put his arm on my shoulder. He called me my, his little buddy, and I called him my big buddy. And, and Jim Smith and Ronnie Mills and I, we did a lot of stuff together, hung out. And all through high school, he was an all-state all in Ohio, all-state uh, basketball player, uh, tremendous athlete. He played football a little bit, uh, but really concentrated on basketball his last two years. And he went off to uh, school, played in college, played in Dayton University. And then he went and he became the high school basketball coach at Kent Roosevelt High School in, in Ohio. Kind of lost track of him. Uh, I really didn't live for Christ in my high school years. It wasn't until my senior year around March, April, that I gave my life back to Christ. I, I grew up in a Christian home and uh, as an 11-year-old boy, I gave my life to Christ. And, but as a 12, 13-year-old boy, I just wandered away and uh, pursued uh, ungodly things. And so uh, Ronnie was part of that ungodliness with me. We didn't do terrible things, but just we didn't emphasize Jesus. But I say all that to say that, you know, uh, I remember... Uh, years later then, we had lost track of each other, and, and uh, I was the assistant pastor, minister of music and youth at a church, and uh, probably was there for maybe a year or two, when my secretary rang me and said, hey, I have a Ronnie Mills on the phone for you. I go, I pick, Ronnie, hey, how you doing? No, don't laugh. They called me Moose in high school because <laughs> of football. Uh, Blake, that's as far as it goes. Okay. No, no, nobody calls her calling me Moose here, okay? But uh, everybody, and still, if I see somebody from my high school, hey, Moose, how you doing? So anyway, but that was me in high school. So I said, Ronnie, how you doing? He says, Moose. And this is what his words were. I'm dying. I go, what? Hey, it was really like almost a whisper, coarse voice. I'm dying, Moose. Now, even though I hadn't lived for Christ, my senior year, and when I gave my life back to my senior banquet, I was a senior class president, and my senior banquet, I did share Christ with people. Uh, I shared before that my father had passed away just weeks before I graduated. So my father, during my senior banquet, was literally laying in a casket in a funeral home. So I just used the fact that I was going to see him again and that I had a relationship with Christ, and that I hadn't lived that relationship, but I wanted all my 228 fellow graduates to know that Jesus loved them, and if I could ever be of any help. So probably seven years later, Ronnie Mills calls me and says, Moose, I'm dying. Why'd he call me? <laughs> could you pray for me? I prayed with him on the phone, and I did not get to the hospital before he passed. I ended up preaching his funeral. His mom and dad, stepdad down there, his brothers, sisters. Jim Smith, as a matter of fact, my other buddy, he was there too, and he gave a sort of a 
testimony of what a great guy Ronnie was. But you know, I, all I could say was what a great guy Ronnie was, but the fact is it was a missed opportunity for me. And whenever I think of Ronnie Mills, I think of a missed opportunity. One of my best friends and one of the nicest guys. Now, I don't know if he ever may have had a relationship with Jesus, but it certainly wasn't because of me. In Luke chapter 19, and I don't know if it's up there or you can just turn to it, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem the last week of his life. And we read this in verse 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is both a historic and a symbolic moment in the ministry life of Jesus Christ. Think about it, you know, after three and a half years or so of teaching, tremendous miracles, developing relationships with all kinds of people, and of course, the disciples, he now faces this largest moment in the history of mankind, the sacrifice of his life for the sins of the world in just a few days. And we find Jesus weeping over Jerusalem several times in the gospel. Here, back in chapter 13 in Luke, Matthew 23, where we read very similar words. And the scene is not a happy one. It really is a sad thing. As Jesus, having finished his recruitment phase and future kingdom is confronted with people who for the most part don't get it, don't, don't get him. You know, John told, he told us, you know, he came unto his own and his own received him not, did not know him. And he's impacted by that. The humanity of Jesus Christ is impacted by this moment and he, he weeps. Yeah, he cries. Because he feels a missed opportunity, right? Not his missed opportunity, but Jerusalem's missed opportunity. Consider Jerusalem. They were God's people. It was made the capital of God's nation during the reign of King David. Consider Jerusalem. It was destroyed by the Babylonians and then rebuilt by a remnant of Jews, uh, also including Nehemiah. Consider Jerusalem that Christ is praying and crying over. It had heard the voice of God and now had seen the face of God. Jerusalem. One day, the prophets tell us that it will be the capital city of the world. 
the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, it will be the center of God's kingdom on earth. But on this day, Jerusalem, instead of receiving their savior, they would crucify him. They missed their opportunity. I think, and I think about Ronnie, I think we all have our Jerusalems in our lives. People that kind of come in and out of our lives, family members, some of them we only see maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas, but they're there. Workers, fellow workers, students, friends like I was mentioning, that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, a life-changing path of hope and eternal life, but many times we miss those opportunities. And this is why Jesus came. This is why upon his ascent after his resurrection, he gave us the church. He created the church and endowed it with God, the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? For our Jerusalems. So that there would not be missed opportunities. Next week, as Blake said, we, we start this new series, The Chosen. I, I had the privilege of being able to do the first week over a year ago with my church in Massachusetts. What I do is, is I, one of my ministries is, I'm in, involved in counseling and such, but I, I'm involved with a ministry called IPM, Interim Pastoral Ministries. And we go to churches that are in danger of closing their doors. And I, my wife and I get placed uh, in places, and we hold the church together, fill the pulpit, take them through five steps, and then we get together a search committee, and uh, we try to find a new pastor. We were 21 months in Massachusetts. And I won't be here next week. My wife will be out there at the table because we are going to be uh, leading a small group, but I won't be here at the table. But please don't hold that against her. She'll get more people anyway to sign up with me, with me not here. Uh, but I'll be flying to Massachusetts on Wednesday, and we have our new pastor who's going to be uh, candidating next Sunday, and I will finally finish <laughs> that project and hand that off. I moved back in May, but uh, I've been up there for the last two years. This will be almost exactly two years. But that's, that's what I am involved with. Um, but I think about the people that come into our lives and the purposes that we have that Chosen series was really a blessing up there as we got into small groups for the first time because of the pandemic. We were very limited on what we could do. So we started with season one, and then last January, we did season two. So it is a blessing. The life of Jesus Christ is examined, and in particular, his relationships with people and of course, his disciples. And you learn all these different personality. You know, you see yourself in these guys and these girls. It's a beautiful thing to watch uh, and grow and learn in. And we're praying you'll be a part of it. I, I really believe I have yet to be a part of this ministry of the chosen that has not impacted people when they've been involved with it. That's all I can say. So be involved in it.
along with the series itself about Jesus, during the, the actual series, Jesus Christ himself and, and the teaching in the series well, and, and the small groups introduced the idea of the Beatitudes within the structure of the series, which is, which is awesome because the Beatitudes many times, I think, are sort of set aside. Oh, yeah, that's a good thing, you know. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, I'll mourn. I know that that's like, you know. But, but it's brought in a way, especially in the small group setting, that I think you'll really be challenged. And you'll see that Jesus introduces these ways of living to us for the purpose of bringing people into relationship with him through Christ with his Father. We don't want to miss an opportunity, their opportunity, to find your friends, your neighbors, your relatives. We don't want to miss their opportunity to find, and we don't want to miss our opportunity to share, right? And so the way we can do that, one of the ways you can do that, this is an exciting opportunity that is unlike most. I say that. This is a unique opportunity because you can get involved in this video series and you can learn and grow and even in the idea of the Beatitudes. Are you involved? Are we involved in our Jerusalems? Are we? You're talking about vision. What kind of vision do you have for your relatives and your friends? Is it it all about you? (laughs) It's so easy, isn't it? When was the last time we wept over our Jerusalem? thinking that we might, that person might not spend eternity with us in their lostness, their aimless and hurting lives. Because the fact is, and you know this to be true, those people are coming across our paths all the time, every day. Uh, Many of you who have been here, I've been here the last three months now. I had knee surgery, uh, knee replacement surgery about seven, eight weeks, seven, eight weeks ago. It really went well. Thank you for your prayers who were praying for me. And now I'm, get, I'm doing so well that now I'm going to get this one done October 7th. So about five weeks in, I was playing golf again, uh, good enough to beat Blake and uh, with a, a bum, one bum knee and one repaired one, but I'm just teasing. Um, that was a, a luck of the Irish, I guess, but um, we had a great time. But you know, uh, the fifth week, I played golf that morning. It wasn't the same morning I played with him, but I played golf, I came home, weeded around the house, was working in the yard and stuff, feeling great, you know, went to the pool, did a little workout in the pool, had these knee exercises I'm doing, you know, and then late in the evening, late in the afternoon, my knee started getting warm, and I started feeling a little punk, you know. So I touched my knee, I said, Robin, come over and feel my knee, and and, uh, I said, honey, that's... Your knee is really hot. Check my temperature. And uh, it was like 101. You know. And I think it said, I think my thing said, if it gets to be 100.5, I need to go to the emergency room. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm great. I'm fine. You know. But I knew I wasn't feeling great. So I went to the emergency room. And don't you know they kept me? And they took all this blood. I mean, I'm in their emergency room. Now, here, I got to tell you this story because... It, it's so funny. I get in there. They do all these cultures and everything, and they gave me vancomycin, and as soon as they gave it to me, like in 20 minutes, my temperature came down, and I was fine. So I'm going to go home. No, Mr. Davenport, you need to stay. 
<laughs> These are the words. Are you ready for this? We would hate to see them have to do the entire operation. Pull that out and do the whole operation again. Well, that got my attention. <laughs> but not as much as the other nurse who said, you wouldn't want to lose your leg. What? You know? All right, I guess I'm staying. So I stayed. And the uh, doctor came in. So we want to give you another, another uh, dose of vancomycin in the morning. And then, uh, you know, we'll look at the cultures. So I thought I'd be getting out in the afternoon, that morning, you know. So spend that. Anyway, I spent two nights. And I didn't get out till Sunday, late afternoon. I wasn't here in church Saturday night or that Sunday. And I was bummed. And, uh, I'm, and all the cultures ended up. All the cultures ended up coming back negative. And the doctor told me on Sunday late afternoon, I think you probably just overdid it, you know, and you've you got some uh, inflammation in there. And if you had probably taken some extra strength Tylenol Friday night, you got, maybe got ahead of this. So from losing my leg <laughs> to extra strength Tylenol, okay, uh -huh, you know. But I, I, while I was there, in, in, uh, I was thinking, God, why am I here? We talk about people that come into our lives, right? And my wife and I pray often. I can't say every morning, but many times in our devotion, the Lord will lead us and we'll pray, you know, God, bring somebody into our path today that we'll, and we'll know and help us to share the love of Jesus with them. Help us just be a blessing to them. So anyway, I'll make a long story short, and that is that there was this one nurse. Her husband was living in Connecticut, and she was here. Her grown children were also in Connecticut, and she was working like double shifts. They really didn't need the money, but they were struggling in their marriage. And over a period of Friday night, all day Saturday, she worked weekends. All day Sunday. And Sunday afternoon, guess who I was listening to? I said, are you listening to a church? I go, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, the church that I go to, my son's a worship leader, and this is Pastor Blake. Oh, oh. Well, that's been a long time since I've, I've heard someone preach like that. He sounds like he's pretty, he's pretty strong. I go, he is. I said, but really, it's just the word of God. Anyway, long story short, I end up praying with her about her family, about her life. So I knew this is why I'm here. Sometimes God puts you in situations for other people. Especially if you're a mature believer, especially if you're a veteran. Hey, at 66, I should be a veteran, right? You should be able to put me in some place like that and not complain. Sorry, Lord, I complained. But this last week, my, my two oldest grandchildren were here uh, from Ohio. We flew them in because my oldest grandson turned 16. So we flew him in for his birthday, and my 12-year-old granddaughter, who's going to be 13 next month, came with them. And so we had a great time. And on Monday, we went to Lido Beach, and uh, we took Cody, I mean, Cody's kids, uh, Harper and Titus with us. And so we were all there at the beach, and Cody took the day off, and we all came. It was, it was great. It was an awesome moment. And Ma, we don't get to, that, to do that very often, you know. So it was a great day. And as soon as we got there, my 16-year-old grandson began, he took the Frisbee and began to dig a hole in the sand. He wanted to dig a hole deep enough to put Titus in, up to his neck. And he succeeded. He did. I mean, he dug for four and a half hours. That's all he did the whole time. He got in the water, came back out. You know. But what was funny was, uh, and we had prayed, my wife and I had prayed that morning about this, you know, 
God brings somebody in our life. So this young lady, about 15 years old, skinny little girl comes walking down, and she's looking at the, the sand that Noah, my grandson, is digging out the hole. Oh, could I look in your sand for some shells? Oh, oh, I see some shells here. I'm looking for shells. And, and my, <laughs> Noah said, yeah, a 16-year-old, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. So anyway, so Noah climbs down to the hole, which is now up to his chest, okay, to go get a drink of water, and this girl jumps in the hole. <laughs> okay, Noah goes, Grandpa, Grandpa, the girl jumped in the hole. I, it might cave in. I, I've been working really hard on that hole. And, you know, I said, well, you know, and this is exactly what I said. I said, well, you know, this might be someone that my, your grandmother and I prayed about this morning because she just showed up, up out of nowhere and jumped in that hole. I said, we better be nice to her. And Cody started talking to her and asking what her name was and where she was from and, and such. She came back to that place three different, wasn't it three different times, Cody? I think three different times. She wandered off and she'd come back. And she wandered off and she'd come back. My son Noah, my grandson Noah was not excited about it. But I just want to say that I don't know. I don't believe there's any mistakes or God has purposes and the people that comes in, come into our lives. And I, I really do believe that we have people that come into our lives for a purpose. And you need to be prepared for that purpose. Don't miss the opportunity. Maybe you're Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 7, we see a moment like that in Jesus' life. Uh, this is, in Luke 7, verses just 11 through 17, this is following when Jesus has healed the centurion's servant. I don't know if you know that story. But because he healed the centurion's servant, a great crowd heard about it, you know, people are there, and uh, the centurion was well known, and so as he walks away from that area after healing this guy, a crowd's following him. Now, now catch this, I'm going to set it up for you, then we're going to read the story. Jesus is walking into a gate, it says, and we're going to read it. He's walking into the gate with all this crowd of people, and out of the gate is coming a funeral. Let's read it. Verse 11, chapter 7. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now just think about that for a moment. Here's a mother who had already lost her husband, and now her only son had died. 
And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Well, they're in mourning, right? They're having the funeral procession. So there's a lot of people, some of them in those days, I'm sure you've heard this, but sometimes they were hired, musicians and such, and they would mourn. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Do you see this? This crowd coming in the gate, life, right? Life coming in, death coming out, and they join. This crowd, this is a crowd of people, two crowds of people. And Jesus sees this mother, has compassion on her. Do not weep. And he came up and touched the buyer, which is the casket, what they were carrying him out in. And the bearers, stood still. Now let's face it, in those days, you were not supposed to touch any dead people. That was not a good thing. That was a curse. But they stood still. He walks over and touches it. And he says, Jesus says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. I don't know what that cat said, but I love to know I would love to know what that guy said, wouldn't you? I want to know what that guy said. Oh, and began to speak. And Jesus, I love this, gave him to his mother. Do you see that? Helps him down out of the casket and takes him over to his mother. Here you go. Oh, what a moment. (laughs) What a beautiful moment. Fear sees them. It's a good fear when you realize God is all-powerful. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. But that's not why Jesus did it. Jesus did it because life was walking in when death was walking out. And Jesus saw it and had compassion, and he was moved. And that's what we need to be. We learned a few weeks ago that God sees us. We need to see the people that God brings into our path and be prepared to help with death to life moments of truth. Jesus never lose sight of that mother. That's what gets me. He never loses sight. Although there's crowds of people but he's looking at that mother. That's what impacted him. As soon as he gets that, as soon as he gets that son down, he's taking him to mom. I love that. I love it. He feels, he touches, he gets involved, and there is an impact. Now I know what you're thinking. Hey, yeah, but Pastor Mark, that, that's that's Jesus. That ain't me. Why are you bringing this to me tonight? I mean, I ain't Jesus. I know, okay, I got the Jerusalem thing and all that stuff. Well, ponder this, would you? With me, ponder this verse that Jesus said and John repeats in John 14. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. How can that be possible? I mean, I'm not raising anybody from the dead. That, that ain't happening. That's just not going to happen. 
So what's Jesus talking about? Well, here's what I think. You know, the idea, because the last thing he says is, because I am going to the Father, which means what? I'm not. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> we are here. He is with us. We are his body, alive, and we have truth to share, but we must see people. He says, you stay here. I'm going. You're going to be able to do what I, greater works than I, because I'm not going to be here, and the church is going to be born, and you're going to take the church through centuries, and many are come to know me through you. Touch them. Care about people who are hurting. Listen, here's the Beatitudes. Now listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted, persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now, each one of these eight is followed by a promise. I didn't get into those. I'm just giving you the basics. Each of these is followed by a promise, and we're going to learn those, for the individual that practices them, see? Now, why? How are they used? Because they're used in us as opportunities to bring people to Jesus. These are tools. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he gives a promise to those that are, and that promise is to help us Minister to our Jerusalems. It's pretty important that we learn this, I think. And learn it in a small group. I think, I think it can change your, your Christian life, have an understanding of these Beatitudes. Because Jesus is speaking to his homies. He's speaking to his disciples. That's us. This is not going on to speaking to anyone. These are people that he's close to and he's teaching something of an inside way to help us minister. Who is your Jerusalem? Who is your Jerusalem? Will you just bow your head for a moment? You know who they are. You know who God has brought into your life as far as a family or friends. And when I started talking about that, the Holy Spirit already revealed to you one, two, five, whatever. What I want you to do right now when you think about who your Jerusalem is, I want you to not out loud, but maybe whisper it. I want you to say their name. We do that? Just say their name. Or names. Who is your Jerusalem? And ask God to give you the opportunity to share truth. And to maybe use these tools in their life of other people that you're going to meet in the coming weeks and years. Amen. You know, I mentioned uh, Ronnie Mills and I mentioned Jim Smith, but I didn't tell you about Jim Smith. Jim Smith was a Blackfoot Indian. So you got Ronnie Mills, six foot four, black. 
me five foot six white, and then a Blackfoot Indian. And three of us, and one of the things we like to do, whenever a new James Bond movie would come out, we'd like to go see the James Bond movie. <laughs> and lots of times it'd be like on New Year's Eve. We'd go to the, new, the James Bond movie, just hang out, you know, and go to each other's homes and spend the nights. We had a great time. Lots of good memories. When I graduated, Smitty, as we called him, uh, came up to me uh, about a month or so and he says, hey, I hear you're, I had a 71 Pinto. Uh, I sold it before it killed me. <laughs> because, let me tell you, I don't know much about cars, and my dad bought me this car before he died. Bless his heart. Um, it had a 302 in it. You know how small a Pinto is? It had a 302 in it. It was so stuffed full of an engine that my brake lines kept melding, and I would seep my brake fluid. <laughs> So lots of times I didn't have brakes. It's a terrible thing to buy your son. Uh, but anyway, Smitty says, man, I'd love to buy that Pinto from you. I said, it's good because it's, good it's for sale. Um, but I don't have any money up front. Could I give you $100 a month for 12 months? I said, I'll tell you, for $1,200. $100 a month for 12 months, and I'll buy it from you, Moose. I, I, okay. Now, Smitty had seen my life change. Now, at that time in my life, I started singing in a gospel group, and we traveled on the weekends, lots of times, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Kentucky. We'd leave on a Friday afternoon, get back late Sunday night, and we'd sing. And my wife, who wasn't my wife then, she also sang in that group. And that's how we became, you know, good friends and went on from there. Uh, but, so Smitty had actually even come and heard me sing a couple of times when we were in the area. The day for the last payment came, and he'd send it to me in the mail every month. But one day, there's a knock on my door. And I go to the door, and it's, it's Smitty. So anyway, I brought your last payment. I just thought I'd bring it over. I said, well, cool. You know, I opened the door. Thanks so much. Are you enjoying the car? I am. <laughs> Moose, my life is falling apart. And he fell on his knees on my front porch. And Come in. He literally crawled into my living room. I got on my couch and sat, and we talked for the next hour. I prayed. We cried together. He says, I know what I should be doing. I know it's wrong how I've been living. And he taught me about this girlfriend he was dating and all that stuff. And uh, can you help me? Can you pray for me? I don't know. I think I'm going to go to hell. I'm just a terrible person. And I know you've changed your life. I want what you have, Moose. I know what you have, and I need it. Now, there was not a missed opportunity. I married him and Noreen two years later at Calvary Baptist Church over in Copley, Ohio. And we continue to be friends over the years. He's, he knows what I, once in a while, I saw him at a couple class reunions. Who is your Ronnie Mills? the one that you missed the opportunity with or who you're missing the opportunity. Who's your Jim Smith? Who, who is your Jim Smith gonna be? Don't miss your opportunity. It's your Jerusalem. We are blessed. We are blessed people. We have truth. We have a church. 
We have that. We're growing. Grow spiritually. Get your tools together. Put them in a toolbox. And be ready for people to be brought into your path. Will you bow your head as Cody comes and leads us in song? Is he behind me right now? I don't know. There he is. I just want you to pray. There's not a big, I don't, you don't need to come forward. But I always wonder if you just allow the Holy Spirit to use this message somehow, however he would use it, about some people or person or the lack of your desire for your Jerusalem. Maybe that's what you need to pray about. The fact is, in this world, this life, we can get very busy doing things and doing stuff, and we don't care about other people. All the cultural and the social things, I'm talking about, I'm talking about just loving people, loving God, loving people.